Okay, so here we are. Today is uh, August 17th, 2016. My name is Brian Parks, and this is Thomas Brill. And we are just a couple of lay people with an interest in the Hendrix translation of Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching. This week we're going to talk about chapter 6, which is a short one. So we might get through this quick. Well, better spend a lot of time talking about each of the six lines. Yeah. Yeah, so this They're also ten, packed ten with minutes a line, and we should make it to an hour. Uh, anyway, we usually meander a bit, so right. So let me uh, find some tributaries to. Maybe we'll never even get to the verses this week. Who knows? <laughs> so oh, you're let me. Uh, I'm, I'm insisting on starting the same way by reading for those for those who don't have the text in their podcast thing. The valley spirit never dies. We call it the mysterious female, the gates of the mysterious female. These we call the roots of heaven and earth, subtle yet everlasting. It seems to exist. In being used, it is not exhausted. So that's it for chapter six. So the valley spirit never dies. I had two very immediate reactions to these verses. The first one was the feeling, maybe you've never gotten it, but the feeling you get when you walk into a modern art museum <laughs> and there's a large wooden plank on the wall that's been painted white. Maybe there's a little black dot on it somewhere. And you look at it and you go, okay, I know this is art because someone said it was, but what is this? Right. That was my first reaction. Sort of. There's a point where I can just give up and say, nope, I'm not going to analyze that. Yeah, that's true. It's it's um, it does. My first response was maybe not that exactly, but it was kind of um, well that this is you know in the context of all the other chapters, it probably means more than by itself. Because this is the first time I think they've mentioned female, especially mysterious female, and uh, or the valley spirit. And of course, we live in a valley, and we have a certain spirit here. But (laughs) something positive never dies, but always kills. So then, the second reaction I have is, of course, the whole. The whole erotic side of it, right? This is right. kind of a Lao Tzu was up in the mountains, you know, living his ascetic life and thinking, gee, it would be nice to have a nice piece of ass up here. <laughs> right. Well, um, and then like a, you get that feeling a lot, you know, even, uh, well, you know, the one is uh, the Dalai Lama, which is like a great man and everything, but he's, a, he's an 84-year-old virgin. And he talks about these things, and you kind of, okay, Dolly, but, <laughs> so, you know, maybe this guy was like that, too. It's Not like, too different from the Catholic priest to give right, sorry, uh, relationship advice to couples. Right. Yeah. Because even though uh, some have had sex, they don't have a relationship. But I'm fine. Um, yeah, so... Um, but anyway, um, okay, there again, we have the Wu translation, where it describes it, the spirit of the fountain 
dies not instead of the valley. So the fountain would be, the, and especially since the other verses are about the female, the fountain would be the fountain of life. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's analogous to the womb, right? It's, the womb is the fountain of life. And it's also sort of valley-like, yes. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there is that, that's, the, that's the funny parallel in here. There's the physical parallel, and then the gates of the mysterious female. Well, okay. Yeah. Um, I guess that's the labia. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, that, or, or just the, you know, I mean, this was a long time ago, you know, when it was okay to say there were differences between men and women, and they were much more pronounced than they are now. Well, on the other hand, though, I was wondering how the burping, farting, male-watching Super Bowl guy fits into this kind of analysis or philosophy. Yeah, I don't think this is for him specifically. I mean, <laughs> you know... He wasn't around back then, right? I wonder if the oh, man yeah. belt was he around back then? That's what I was wondering oh, if he yeah. was around back then. Like, uh, sure, they used to have different names for him. Just, you know, the common man. Uh, you know, still burping and farting, but instead of watching football, he's probably watching yeah. some, watching the rice grow or something. Well, also, too, you know, it's only been the last, what, 100 years or 200 years or whatever that they've even invented leisure time. I mean, they've always said leisure time activities, even back then, but it was like almost non-existent, especially for most people, it was literally hand-to-mouth. If they learned how to farm, it was, you know, farm to hand-to-mouth. And, you know, so the time, you know, time to, you know, uh, be a guy sitting around with a bunch of other guys saying rude things was not all that wasn't an everyday thing, you know, you didn't have the option every day like we do now. Construction workers whistling at the girls as they walk by. Maybe the rice farmers did that, who knows? Right. Well, you know, they do have those ancient shrines and things that were built by construction workers of the day, but, you know, they generally worked 17-hour shifts. Right. So. Not much time for anything else. Yeah. So, uh, So the Valley Spirit, what is that? Other than the female. I mean, I, I, the interesting thing about the valley is that no matter what happens around it, the valley is kind of... I guess you could fill the valley and it wouldn't be a valley anymore. But, I mean, it's... Even though it's kind of nothing, it's more... It seems permanent, like a permanent nothing. Yeah. Well... Well, there again, I think the valleys are known for being more lush and, you know, full of life than, you know, maybe other areas, especially above the timberline. True. And so the valley spirit, you know, that's where the rivers go to the valleys, you know, in order Animal to... Animals uh, feed on that, and, yeah, the whole right. chain kind of stucks there. You know, and, of course, these days we think of nature as the mountains more often than the valleys because, you know, we've populated and fenced off the valleys. Well, there's also a spirit, uh, maybe I'm way off on this, but there also seems like there's the spirit of conquest. To conquer a valley isn't really that exciting. You just walk down right. a hill and yeah. stand there. But people want to get to the mountaintop and you know, look out over the mountaintop. And it seems to be a much more kind of individualistic way of yeah. interacting with nature rather than 
sitting in the valley contemplating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing the valley as a kind of as a thing, as you know, one of the ten thousand things. The, the valley spirit never dies, and so as you know, the valley as an ecosystem, you might say, never dies. You know, not just that. I would guess that in the, when this was written, yeah, the valley was where everybody basically made their living and got their sustenance. So mm-hmm. it's much. It took on even greater importance. Right. I would guess because that's where all the, if the rivers are there. That's where you're going to be doing the irrigation. That's where you're going to be growing stuff. That's where the animals your animals are going to be kept. So in a simple farming society, that is yeah. like literally your lifeblood. Yeah. So, but then it just really kind of puzzles me that the spirit never dies. We call it the mysterious female. Right. So what, what is mysterious about the spirit, the valley and its spirit? Well, is the female mysterious? I mean, are, are, are females generically mysterious right, or just right. this one? Right, there yeah. you go. Yeah, so we call it the mysterious female. We don't just call it the female. Well... Maybe there's a mysterious side to every female. Maybe the writer doesn't have much of a connection with females, so they're all mysterious to him, like the Catholic yeah. priest. Yeah. Call it the mysterious female. But... Well, there's always been that kind of um, ancient perception of women, though, as having a mysterious side, right? The moon is associated right. with women. The Kind of the more subtle things, the more... Right. Well, Maybe even duality is more you know, associated with women. I don't know. Well, and before the invention of agri science, you know, the valley to get it to create sustenance of life and life to come from it is kind of mysterious in the same way a woman can be mysterious in summoning life from a woman. Hmm. Uh, you know, they may have, you know, it's always a, a kind of a weird to me that the connection between intercourse and babies is not really not everybody was aware of this right um, <laughs> my side story my mother had a job she was aware of it she was aware of it and she was an RN and she had a job at Kern Medical Center working for a federal agency that was just generally there to help people learn about um sex and basic hygiene and stuff like that, you know, because you have a lot of people that are, you know, stereotype Okies, like from the Grapes of Wrath, and their Latino versions, so she had the, uh, show me one time, she had this thing where this woman came in, she was having her fifth child, and she had to explain to her the relationship between sex and having babies. Wow. <laughs> so, double well. So, you know, I don't know what rampant that is these days, but, you know, this was 30, 40 years ago. Well, at least to tell girls that probably within, maybe they still tell them, but within 30 or 40 years that you know, if he looks at you, you could get pregnant, right? Oh, yeah, or you don't use the ass gasket at the, you know, at the public toilet. Right. Yeah. So I think there's still those misperceptions. Right. Yeah, back then there's probably not 
I don't know if there's any knowledge of where babies came from. That in that sense. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good question. Well, I think some people may have been clued into it, like on a basic level, because there's all those early religion things about virginity and whatnot, and and uh, well, true, and, yeah, and chastity and, and, and all that. And there were condoms many many years ago, I guess. Right. So, so people had some notion of it. Right. Still mysterious, even if you know where yeah. it comes from. I mean, it's still mysterious. Well, especially now. if you don't. Yeah, if there's no no such invention as science, it is a totally mysterious. Thing. Well, no, I'm saying even with the invention of science, it's still pretty damn mysterious. I mean, you think about right. an egg and a sperm getting together, and out of it comes us. Right. With all of our not only imperfections, but all of our kind of you know eccentricities and oddities, and right, got fingers and toes, and yeah, they all come out of some little cell. Yeah, you know it took them like how long to map the human genome and then it's going to take another 50 years for them to figure out what it all means so yeah so uh, the gates of the mysterious female yeah that, that seems to be kind of the most daring and erotic line in the whole passage okay, so if you look at it from that point of view okay, the other well Cleary's translation I was reading these other translations yeah. Cleary particularly seems to really take that erotic side of it wow. further than anybody else right, the opening of the mysterious female well yeah the opening of the mysterious female is called the root of heaven and earth continuous on the brink of existence to put it into practice don't try to force it yeah. <laughs> He's like teaching you the art of seduction almost from that one passage. Right. Well, and also I think it speaks to, you know, the human bonding angle as far as childbearing. And then there's some relationship with that, I guess, origins that spring out of nothing and and, and the whole, you know, yeah, whole of existence, basically. Yeah. That's kind of, seems to be the comparison that he's making, the roots of heaven and earth. Right. Well, we know what the heaven part is, you know, but, um, but the roots of heaven, yeah. Well, in roots, literally, if that's, uh, a lot of these translations seem to use that term, but that's, the, the roots are the bottom part. Right, or, or well, the, the part that also connects you to the heaven and earth, and connects heaven and earth. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting concept to me that heaven would have roots. Earth, yeah, sure, I mean, or something that grows on the earth. But heaven doesn't seem like it could have roots, just kind of literally. Looking at it literally, if it's up in the sky or whatever, then well, roots would have to be up in the sky. You know, they... Maybe that's what lightning is. Well, they had no, no way to, to know of the science about it, but the, um, the latest thing about... What's it, arboreal science? The science of trees? Okay. Um, arboreal science? Is that the roots use, like, these fungal networks to communicate. And the, the trees in a forest will not just communicate with each other, but they will send nutrients to, like, an ailing tree. Or, like, a, an old, old tree that's died, they'll continue feeding its roots... <laughs> Like for a century after it's died, sounds like elephants. And uh, yeah, they go back and visit the so site, the burial or death sites of their yeah. relatives. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So probably a lot we don't know about trees because so, you can't really communicate with them. Well, people talk to their plants. But this one <laughs> science lady that was um, you know that, that discovered a lot of this stuff and I don't know two-way communication but she was you know listening in on the tree communication with each other <laughs> so I don't know what you would have to say to a tree I think is the problem there so uh, yeah hey nice leaves on you there um, well I you know I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I've actually hugged trees before, and it feels yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I used to date this woman that uh, hugged the big tree in my front yard, the one that's now dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because she's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The tree downhill from the tree has been missing her ever since. Yeah, that's not likely. But uh, <laughs> I bet you never hugged that damn tree. I did. All right. When I first moved in, I kind of took it for granted. After that. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, well... Died from neglect, I guess. Or not enough hugs. Not enough hugs. Thank you. Well, but anyway, that, that whole thing, that you, you really do feel a compulsion to hug trees sometimes. And I think that that's sort of a, I don't know, primal knowledge thing that these people may have been aware that trees communicate or are a kind of a community or, or something like that. So when they talk about roots, they could be talking about that. There's not just individual roots for individual people or individual mysterious females but you know the heaven and the earth are interconnected not only do they come from roots they are you know that's part of what they are and so and I mean another word you could use for root is origin I suppose I'm saying that maybe that's the way he's using it the root is the origin right it's the right yeah the origin of heaven and earth that's kind of how I read it, is that, um, I'm not sure how that relates to the first couple of lines, but it kind of goes back to the, uh, but, you know, I don't know what the valley spirit is exactly, other in, in, in the more, in the physical sense, yeah, but in the philosophical or, yeah, the philosophical sense, I'm not sure what he's, what he's talking about there, the valley spirit, is that the, the spirit of Tao, or is that something else? Yeah, I don't know. The light? Kind of a life spirit. Yeah. Well, and I think what well, it, it connects here to the mysterious female, it, it's like an analogy thing that the valley spirit is a life force that, you know, gives life and all that stuff. But they call it the mysterious female because they have to coax life out of it sometimes <laughs> or figure or, or just trust. You know, when something's mysterious like that, you know, you just have to trust that things are going to progress, you know, the way they should. You know, like people in the old days, all kinds of superstitions developed around infertile females, and they would kill them and all kinds of horrible things. <laughs> Never blaming the guy, of course. Uh. But, uh, you know, it was mysterious, and they had their faith tied up into it, and it didn't happen. They freaked out. Well, yeah. I mean, even in the 1600s, kings were ki killing their brides when they didn't produce mm -hmm. at least a male out. Mm -hmm. That would be King Henry VIII. Yeah. And didn't he even get his last wives? It was more of a cohabitation thing. Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> he was so, like, ah. the first, the first three lines: the valley spirit never dies. We call it the mysterious female. The gates of the mysterious female. 
these we call the roots of heaven and earth. That seems to be kind of the what it's all leading up to. The roots of heaven and earth would be, when you go back into the earlier verses, to me, the way. Right. Which is the, or the nameless, that's the beginning of the 10,000 things. So the roots of heaven and earth would seem to me to be the same as kind of the, the origin of everything. Right, or a manifestation of the 10,000 things or the way. Or the, the way that we know. All these are the roots of the heaven and earth. I mean, again, you could almost read a lot of this just as a modern environmentalist, because yeah, he uses a lot of kind of environmental type analogies. Valley spirit never dies. That's again, if that is the way, then that's just nature again. I mean, right? And not nature has a lot of stuff going on, a lot of processes, a lot of movement. Yeah. And it's all unforced. And it's sort of the idea behind the Tao is that you can kind of... It seems to me like that's part of what this is about. You can kind of mm-hmm. capt- almost capture and become a part of that just very natural force, even though we have separated ourselves from it. That's not really the way he presents it. That's kind of the way I've been reading this more and more the more I read it. Right. Yeah. That it, yeah. It's, it's kind of like it's something that's so pervasive as a part of you and everything you know that it's hard to see it as or just it's hard to see it well yeah and that goes back to the first verse too the nameless is the beginning of the 10,000 things it's nameless and if you try to name it then you you're not getting it right because it's just yeah too much but I mean I do I would say like there's something there's a feeling that I can get out of being surrounded by nature that I can't get from anything else. Right. Like if you're out on the ocean or if you're, you know, it's not complete nature still because you're in a boat usually, hopefully, or you're walking along a path in the forest. Well. Or you're hugging a tree. I mean, there's some... Well, it's been a long time since I read it, but they, they have these, these things about the... In, in the brains of some people, but not everybody, they have that, that, God, that God neurons that are in there that respond to that aha feeling when you're in the forest and whatnot. And not everybody has that. Oh, weird. And so, you know, part of the argument for and against, you know, the existence of God or anything spiritual, you know, is, is, is that... Is, the, is that part of your brain, a part of some people's brain, is that actually connected to something? Or, or is it just a built-in response that helps you live? You know, because having the wonder, the feeling of wonder, kind of has to make you feel positive. It does me. Right. You know, and so is that just, you know, something that, you know, of evolutionary, you know, change that caught on because, you know, because it worked, um, or is it actually, a, you know, another sense? Well, yeah, and I don't think that everything that we have developed could be considered evolutionarily favorable. I mean, vision, your vision could be a lot, your peripheral vision, just for example, could be a lot better 
or you know people without an appendix. They have one right. less useless thing to carry around. You know, but they're still appendixes, appendices, whatever you call them in the plural. But and if there if that's true, that that little mind thing is part of our evolutionary development, then it's going to start drying up pretty quickly. I would say. Right. Well, there's it no longer serves any purpose in a organized. There's this thing in organized society. Think, I think it's physiologists or somebody like that studies what they call proprioception, and that's where you know without looking where your fingers are or your toes or your various body right. parts, right? Well, your more cosmic type people extend that same word, using it to, like when you can tell somebody's staring at you, and you look, and darn it, they aren't staring at you. And uh, so... You know, where does, where does that come from? What is that? It comes from the way they're dressed, I think. Yeah. Because <laughs> people usually tend to dress kind of oddly, so everyone's always staring at them. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well. But anyway, you know, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Well, women especially know when they're gawking at them, right? <laughs> and so... So anyway, I don't know. You know, the last two lines of this stanza go back to kind of the very, very com- what's becoming the very common theme. Yeah. Subtle get It seems to exist. There's a lot of that in here. Yeah. You know. Seems. Seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Subtle yet everlasting. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be relate- directly talking about the first four lines. Subtle yet everlasting. It seems to exist. Well, and I think that's part of, I think that's why we keep talking why we've been talking about this for you know, it's like we're on the edges of understanding and encapsulating what it is that's being talked about here. And we've kind of agreed that there's something to it, but it's subtle and it does seem to have been around forever. Again, if I just this is um convincing me more and more that if you just go back to the nature analogy, the so-called forces of nature are very subtle. I mean, if you sit out in the forest, it's not like there's big fireworks and, you know, NASCAR is going by at 300 miles an hour. It's very slow yeah. and there's not a whole heck of a lot, like, that you can perceive. But on the other hand, I mean, it's, I mean from that, from his perspective, it's everlasting. I suppose if you, you know, really scientifically study it, the sun's going to explode someday and it won't be everlasting, but from our perspective it is. Right. That's really an unimportant detail, but it's it's very subtle, but it's very powerful. Yeah. And in being used, if, if you can tap into that so-called energy, you know, yeah. natural, then you don't exhaust it. It's not, you don't use it up in any way. Right. Yeah. So, so... So this valley spirit that we call the mysterious female and the guides of mysterious... So all these things are subtle yet everlasting. And so I suppose they're not talking about RuPaul. <laughs> Nothing subtle about him or her, whatever. But yeah. Um, seems to exist. Yeah. Um, and being used, it is not exhausted. Okay, well, that's a recurring theme, too. It is, yeah, uh, the bellows. Yeah. 
That was from last, the last chapter of the, even the first chapter is the gateway of all subtleties. Yeah. Much learning means frequent exhaustions. It's not good just holding on to the mean. But in chapter five, or chap yeah, is it not like a bellow? It is empty and yet not depleted. Right, same, same more idea. More move it and more always comes out. So if you use it, it doesn't get exhausted. It's the same thing, and that's obviously an important concept. Right. That's a very optimistic concept, too, right? I mean, you can find boundless whatever it is you're finding. I don't know what it is exactly still, but you can find it in, in boundless quantities, and you're not exhausting right. You're not exhausting the supply at all. Right. Well, you know, and it's like it's something you can observe, and it's something you can feel, but it's not really something you can quantify. Well, yeah, that's the subtlety. Yeah, that's the subtlety. But, you know, a lot of, especially now, in the time of reason and science, not being able to quantify something just <laughs> pisses some people off. And, uh, you know, it's like... Subtlety seems to be dying as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, in pop culture, for sure. Yeah. RuPaul, the RuPaul syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, there's a lot to be said for subtlety. You know, if you, my favorite movies are the ones that are. Most people would say that's the most boring movie I've ever seen. But if it's yeah. done right and there's some subtlety in it, then I don't care if it's boring. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I seem to be a little more addicted to stimulation and you know, in movies. Well, I'm, I don't mind the stimulation, but I guess I get it from a different place. I don't get it from a car blowing up and flying, you know, a guy running across the train and all that. I mean, that's just the yeah. exaggerated version of it. But even something like my dinner with Andre, yeah. two guys having dinner together, that's yeah. very stimulating. Well, yeah, that, that one, but there was, um, I can't remember the name of it. Back in the early 70s, there was a film series of, of these great plays. And I think I've talked about this before, and it took me a long time. I found them on Amazon, and they're all... Amazon Prime, so you can watch them for, for free if you have Amazon Prime. I do, now. Yeah, and so um, The Iceman Cometh, and huh. there, there's this one that is like a four-hour-long play that takes place in one room, and it's just talking. And right. it's in my queue, and I know it's in my queue, but, you know, am I ever really going to just four hours... You need to get Pokemon Go and get somehow get the characters to interact with that. Yeah, make yeah. a little stimulating. Get a little Pokemon gun and shoot them while the play is on. Yeah. That's the uh, modern subtlety, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, you know, so these things, you know, are plays that are also great literature, you know, are considered the same way. But, man... You know, it's it's like it's like me and Shakespeare, right? You know, I can be in a Shakespeare play and get a lot more out of it than I can watching it because okay. you're there and you either say or you observe the same lines, you know, slightly differently a hundred times during rehearsal, and then I'm going, oh, I get it now. <laughs> it takes about that many times to figure it out. Right. It's very subtle. You know, it was a friend of mine. 
who's a big Shakespeare guy, he used to take his students to the Utah Shakespeare Festival every year, drive them there and whatnot. And he was telling me the other day that I guess there, there's an upcoming, they're going to do, uh, not Lear, uh, Macbeth, the Scottish play, at the women's club in a couple of months, in a month or so, whatever. And so he's in it. And uh, I was saying, geez Louise, you know, this a charity thing at the women's club, so it's not a Shakespeare audience. It's just people that want to be seen there or seen, you know, promoting the arts or whatever the charity is. Man, the thing's like, what, two hours, two and a half hours? And, you know, and the, the one you and I were in nine years ago, about a third of it was cut out, and it was right. still kind of long. It was probably 90 minutes at least, or maybe two hours. Yeah, and so he was saying, oh, you know, they can all be cut down to an hour. Oh, yeah. Really? Uh, this, this guy's a big, you know, Shakespeare guy, and really, they can be cut down to an hour. So I thought that was odd. There's so much of modern thought that makes it difficult to decipher a lot of what we're reading. And all those things are part of it. The shorter attention span, the abridged version of the Shakespeare, lovely. Yeah. You know, you said something about not being able to quantify the, to modern thinkers, kind of a difficult thing. And also... This line about it seems to exist, the uncertainty. Yeah. I think uncertainty is really something people are uncomfortable with. In fact, my wife says, right. she says the gray area is for people who want to cheat. Oh, yeah. Or who want to be dishonest. And I say, no, the whole world is gray. <laughs> it's just funny. It's just the way it is, yeah. Well, you know, and even though I'm not a fan of, of organized religion, that is its function for most people is to provide some certainty. Makes black and white for them. Right. And, you know, a lot of people need that, I guess, because they don't really want to, you know, have to make value judgments about everything all day long. I mean, I can't help myself. Because you have no bearings, no yeah. moorings. Yeah, well, that could be. You're floating around like a free-floating spore in a tree root system. Right. I like the it seems to exist. I like the fact that you can never be sure that it's what you're pursuing is really true. But we know that, you know, roots exist. We know that heaven, at least as far as the sky and the space, our space part of it, exists. And the earth we know exists. So it's this mysterious other part that sort of makes right. it function. Well, I don't know if it makes it, 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 it. I don't know if it makes it function so much. My my take on that is it created it, and those who are willing to take that step can tap into it, kind of. Either well, so created it is is a Western idea as opposed to, you know, it just sort of grows out of it is it is part of roots in heaven and earth, whatever it is that just seems to exist. Well, creation actually itself, you're right, that's another notion that feeds our need for certainty. Yeah. But when you think about it, there couldn't be no creation of whatever. You can call it God, you can call it the universe, but neither of those things could have a creator, because then the creator would have to have a creator. Well, you know, how, I don't know how long ago the Big Bang was, billions of years or whatever, you know, that creates for a starting point. However, 
what came before that, right. you know? The so, Big Bang didn't just cut. Yeah. We, we can't conceive of it having come out of nothing, although maybe it did. But that's... A, a world without time is really yeah. impossible for us to yeah. conceive of. Everlasting. Which is weird because you think of things like... Well, like, like people that, that don't believe in evolution, I don't think have the ability to actually picture in their mind what a million years is like or how long that really is. You know? Euclidean versus non-Euclidean <laughs> geometry, right? Yeah. You want to have a infinite universe. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you want to have one, but I mean, that's sort of that's another impossible concept to grasp, but it's theoretically right. what we have. Yeah, as far as we know. <laughs> well, what happens when you get to the edge? There's got to be something else out there. Yeah. Maybe it's like a big ball and we're on the inside of it. So yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so there it's is. just so damn big that we'll never be able to figure it See, out. because we think linear, linearly. But what's outside the ball? Well, there is. Well, <laughs> linear, linearity is an illusion, is a convention that our minds create. It doesn't really exist, right? Yeah, that doesn't, does not compute. <laughs> well, you know. Just, just, just shooting in the dark here. Right. Right, but it's a good point. All right. Well, I think we got through this one pretty quick. So, how about a summary? What are your summary of chapter six? Um, I told you know, as I mentioned, I think this stuff really seems to me to be addressing something I would call the spirit of nature. I guess because. Mm -hmm. Every time I read another chapter of it, it seems to always go back to that idea that our, our interaction with what was once the natural world, and we've modified it to our own means, mm -hmm. so our when we tap into what was there before we started to modify it, that's where we get our connection with the whole, kind of. Yeah. I mean, just specifically, the valley spirit never dies, that's that spirit of life and, and the natural, really. Now, the mysterious female part, I think that more is just a reflection of what was then considered maybe the less aggressive, more kind of... I'm not sure what the word is I'm looking for here, but mysterious? The more mysterious side of the female, who is also mysterious because she's the bearer of all life. And so he's just comparing that life spirit with the life spirit that we infuse into women. Mm -hmm. And then the subtle yet everlasting, it seems to exist and being used, it's not exhausted. That just kind of goes back to that, to the overarching concept of yeah. all of this being really full of uncertainty, full of subtlety, and full of fullness <laughs> because you can't right. complete it. Man. How about you? Um, okay, so... Yeah, to me, it more speaks to the life force regenerating itself, and that it's a, a kind of a well, an ecosystem, I guess, is similar to, and, it, and I think it, it, it is trying to connect this the life force and and creation of life to something concrete, which is women and men and creating other humans. Um, 
that all these things, you know, the roots and the heaven and the earth are all connected, all part of one thing. But it's subtle in that it's so easy for us to picture them as each discrete individual things. But, you know, they're all, they're all part of the, the whole. And um, so, subtle yet everlasting, it seems to exist, and we talked about that, too. you know, yeah, and, um, and also, like you were saying, it's a recurring theme that being used is not exhausted, you know, it, it's eternal, or it seems to be. I'd like to find a beer keg like that. Yeah, oh yeah, you could open a place. And uh, so anyway, so this one I think is is deeper than uh, <laughs> is deeper than its mere six lines would uh, would uh, indicate. Certainly packed full of goodies. Yeah, we didn't dip into the other translations very much this time, but they all seem to be very similar. Yeah, except that Cleary guy who's having a good wink when he wrote his. Yeah. Verses. Well, yeah, he's more of a basic guy. More of a beer drinker. <laughs> so, <laughs> the beer drinker's guide to the Tao Te Ching. I like that. Well, I'm sure there's a book out there somewhere. <laughs> well, if there's not, maybe we should. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So, anyway, thanks for listening in and try us next time for chapter seven. Thanks. <laughs>